This is the Sunday Sermon Series for Quinquagesima Sunday in the traditional Latin Mass calendar. The lesson comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. Brethren, if I should speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have charity, I have become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, yet do not have charity, I am nothing. And if I distribute all my goods to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, yet do not have charity, it profits me nothing. Charity is patient, is kind. Charity does not envy, is not pretentious, is not puffed up, is not ambitious, is not self-seeking, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice over wickedness, but rejoices with the truth, bears with all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. Whereas prophecies will disappear and tongues will cease and knowledge will be destroyed, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect will be done away with. When as a child I spoke as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child. Now that I have become a man, I have put away the things of a child. We see now through a mirror in an obscure manner, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I have been known. So there abide faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. A continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 18. At that time, Jesus, taking to himself the twelve, said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that have been written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and scourged and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will put him to death. And on the third day he will rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them. Neither did they get to know the things that were being said. Now it came to pass, as he drew near to Jericho, that a certain blind man was sitting by the wayside, begging. But hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they who went in front angrily tried to silence him. But he cried out all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stopped and commanded that he should be brought to him. And when he drew near, he asked him, saying, What would you have me do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may see. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. And at once he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, upon seeing it, gave praise to God. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Three short announcements for the sermon today. You know, on Y-O-U-T-U-B-E, if you're watching this on Y-T-E, I would ask you to please consider subscribing on Rumble or Apple uh, due to the fact that there are some uh, S-T-R-I-K-E-S due to content, and uh, my time might be limited. So please do consider 
subscribing on Rumble or Apple instead of Y-O-U-T-U-B-E if you can. Also, second announcement is just a reminder that we use the Douay Rhymes Bible for this, the Sunday Sermon Series, but I use the ESV, the English Standard Version, and the Greek, and a little bit of the Douay Rhymes on my VLX Video Lexio Divina Series, and you can see all of those either on my blog or on YT that also has what's called playlists, so you can watch that through and through from beginning to end on VLX and RCT and CPX and eventually this Sunday Sermon Series, once we finish this up. And third announcement is, you know, today's gospel, we just covered with the words of Lapidae and the Church Fathers and some of my own meditation on a 15 or 20 minute VLX. Again, VLX stands for Video Lexia Divina. That is the gospel from today, the blind man asking our Lord that he might see. So I'm going to link VLX number 126 called Let Our Eyes Be Opened. I will link that in the show notes, both on the blog and um, YT, as well as Apple Podcasts. So if you want to get deeper into the gospel, I'd really encourage you to look at that one, because that was, a, it was an exciting one for me to make as we went deep into what faith means, as well as uh, the Church Fathers on the very same gospel that we just heard, but we covered it three weeks ago. So three weeks ago was my covering of today's gospel, even though it was actually in Matthew and today's in Luke. And then today we're going to look very much at 1 Corinthians 13, this whole chapter on love or charity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This is not a Novus Ordo bashing sermon. Uh, by the time you finish this, you're probably going to think I was beaten up on traditionalists a little bit too hard, but uh, to poke fun at the uh, non-trad listeners, and I know we have quite a few, I do think it's kind of funny that pretty much every lukewarm Catholic couple that gets married picks 1 Corinthians 13 as their wedding reading. Now, there's also some fervent people that choose it, and as you're going to hear my description of 1 Corinthians 13, it's actually the apex, the whole summit of 1 Corinthians, but some people, I think, just pick it for sentimental reasons. Anyway, despite the fact that people pick 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter on love for their wedding, we're going to hear why this is one of the most important chapters of the Bible, and that is why we're going to do today's sermon on it. Again, if you want to hear about the gospel, go listen to VLX number 126. So 1 Corinthians 13, you're probably all very familiar with it, whether you go to the New Mass in English or Spanish or Japanese or Chinese, or you go to the traditional Latin Mass in Latin, where you hear the priest the priest preach in your native language. But you probably know 1 Corinthians 13 starts with this. If I should speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not charity, I have become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, yet do not have charity, I am nothing." And again, I joke about people choosing this for weddings for sentimental reasons. They just want their spouse to be gentle and patient. But I'm going to tell you why, again, this is the most important chapter of 1 Corinthians. You know, this chapter on charity or love by St. Paul, it is truly his magnum opus, the grand work of all of his letters to the Corinthians. Of course, all of Scripture is inspired, 
but this may be among St. Paul's most important chapters. In fact, I think that St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas would agree with me here because here we have the three theological virtues, faith and hope and charity, named for the first time in Christian history in 1 Corinthians 13. And this fills all the writings. Faith, hope, and charity fills all of the writings of St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas. In fact, St. Saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola considers consolation to include tears. Any increase in faith, hope, and charity for St. Saint Ignatius of Loyola, any consolation is an increase in faith and hope and charity. But the greatest of these is charity, we hear today. And that's where today's reading isn't just a sentimental reading. So the next five, I'm going to tell you why. The next five minutes are going to be a little bit boring in theological terms. We might lose some kids. Some kids might fall asleep here. But wake them up again in five minutes because I'm going to tell a story in about five minutes that they might enjoy. So let's talk about 1 Corinthians 13. In seminary, we learned that this entire book follows a chiastic structure. I know just terms and defining them like chiastic structure, it's going to make people fall asleep. Just stick with me so you can hear this. It's a boring explanation, but it gets more exciting after this definition, so hold on. A chiastic structure in literary terms means the last chapter of a play or a letter or a novel or a story reflects the first chapter. Similarly, the second the second to last chapter reflects the second chapter and theme, the third to last chapter reflects the third chapter and theme, and so on. But the one in the middle of it all, that is the apex, the summit, the pinnacle of it all. And then the rest of it is just the denouement. And so people who've studied the chiastic structure of 1 Corinthians say that this chapter on charity is the most important. It is the apex or the pinnacle of the entire chapter. In other words, this is everything that Paul is leading up to is love and everything that we just have a denouement from in the rest of this, in the rest of this book, 1 Corinthians, is a denouement of love. And that's not this liberal method of literary critical method stuff. I'm not, I'm not giving you literary critical method because I hate the literary critical method where you get to decide at a human level what you think is inspired. Of course, all this is inspired. But did you know that one way that it's been proven by good, faithful scripture scholars in the past 50 years that it was actually Moses that wrote Genesis, not these four random JEDP authors? One way we know it was Moses, besides the fact that Jesus Christ himself said that, one way we can prove that Genesis had only one author, not four, again, the J-E-D-P, those are four goofy names that these German theologians in the 19th century gave them. One way we can prove that Genesis had but one author is the fact that we can see the brilliance of a chiastic structure in the, enti- in the narrative, especially the Noah narrative. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit is the exclusive author of Genesis and of 1 Corinthians. Speaking through Moses in Genesis, speaking through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. But God allowed these believing scripture scholars in the past 50 years to discover this chiastic structure to disprove the unbelieving German scripture scholars who believed that the Pentateuch was written by four random imaginary people J-E-D-P are the four authors that they named them. Unfortunately, even Pope John Paul II promoted this ridiculous four-author J-E-D-P theory that heretically holds that Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. And yes, that is heretical, as Christ himself asserts that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, but that's not today's topic. So I want to tell you today how I came to a very practical insight on 1 Corinthians 13, but one more heady intellectual thing. 
I want to say what I now think about the charismatic movement before I tell you something I saw in it. My story actually comes from the charismatic movement. Don't worry, Nova Sorter listeners, I'm not going to rip on it as harshly as you think I am. But ultimately, my view of the charismatic movement is this. I believe that I have seen angels at work in the charismatic movement, and I believe I've seen demons at work in the charismatic movement. I believe I've seen literal miracles. That's That might make some traditionalists out there upset. Um, but I've also seen demons influencing the charismatic movement, which probably will make some charismatics upset. But this is just what I've seen, because I was a charismatic at one point in my life. Now, the fact that you could step into a revival, a Catholic revival, and have angels and in, influencing it and demons influencing it, that is actually reason enough to stay away because you don't know what you're stepping into. So I'll be very honest, full transparency here. This is why I do think, despite having seen miracles in the charismatic movement, it's probably not safe since it can go off the rails very, very quickly and there's very poor discernment in it. I have a blog post out early this week on discerning based on St. Ignatius of Loyola's discernment called How Angels Treat Good People and Bad People. I won't link that, but I think you can find it on my blog. Last intellectual thing before I get into my story on the charismatic movement. I also realize that there's a debate on what does it mean to speak in tongues. So one answer is xenoglossia. Xenoglossia is speaking new new languages without having studied them. For example, what St. Francis Xavier did in Asia, or Padre Pio did in the confessional when he had all these people from all over the world coming to San Giovanni Rotondo in Italy, and he would hear confessions and understand them in languages that he had never studied, and he'd give advice before he gave absolution in Latin, and I think he would give that advice in these different languages. That is xenoglossia, the gift of tongues, that is the gift of new languages. I think all charismatics and traditionalists believe in this. Now, glossolalia, that's a term that charismatics believe in. That means they believe that tongues includes that language that just sounds like gibberish, um, and in their defense, I do think when it says in 1 Corinthians 12, just before today's section, by the way, it says, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, the very fact that the Holy Spirit through St. Paul would link interpretation to speaking in tongues shows me that there may be something more than xenoglossia. So I think that there must be a tongue that requires interpretation. But again, how do they know if they're speaking the language of angels or demons? Once again, very dangerous, so we're a lot safer sticking with understanding tongues to be xenoglossia, and we're better staying out of movements that have almost no discernment of what they're actually dealing with. But here's a story I want to tell if you're not asleep yet. When I was a seminarian, a regular Nova sort of seminarian, I spent two summers in Mexico to learn Spanish. And in one summer, I spent with a charismatic group, a charismatic religious community, and we went to a giant retreat center in Mexico called San Rafael. And there were several thousand teenagers from Mexico, a lot of them with bad backgrounds. And there was a French charismatic priest. And by the way, when when I say charismatic, too many traditionalists think that's equal to liberal. These these were not liberals. They had the Eucharist um, in a monstrance several hours a day for everybody to adore. Um, It was very Eucharistic-centered. So you can't hear charismatic and say, this means liberal. Okay. So I'm at San Rafael. This is about 25 years ago. There's uh, thousands of Mexican teens, and this French priest is praying over them in tongues, and people are falling out. They're fainting. They are being slain in the spirit. 
And there seems to have been miracles of true conversions, maybe even healing. I've certainly seen healings in the charismatic movement. Um, people are falling down, and um, there seems to be a very Eucharistic-centered praise of God with healings. Um, and really, it looked like the power of God was there, and maybe, maybe it actually was. I'm not even going to overturn that in a minute. But I went over to the priest, uh, the French priest, and I also spoke French, and tried to talk to him. He didn't really have a lot of time for me. He was kind of mean. Um, and then later, when he was praying over me in tongues, I wouldn't faint, because I even when I was in the charismatic movement, I never got slain in the spirit. I just had my hands up praising the Lord. Well, he started slapping my hands and saying a very bad word in English. I don't know if he spoke English, but he was slapping my hands, hoping for me to faint, and saying a very bad word in English, even though he didn't speak English. And I realized, wait a minute, if the Holy Spirit were giving him these words, the Holy Spirit would never say that to give to an English speaker a bad word. This must have been a demon. And I was very, very confused at this because I had seen a lot of these teens actually come to a belief in Jesus and even the Eucharist, but this priest seemed to have no charity, slapping my hands, yelling what sounded like hatred, definitely a bad word. And then when I talked to him in the sacristy, he didn't have any time for me. How in the world did I see all of this faith and so little charity? And then, boom, it hit me. All of a sudden, when I was praying through all of this, between these, these numerous charismatic sessions in Mexico, it, it hit me. St. Paul had probably seen it. He had probably seen the faith that worked miracles in the lives of people who had no charity. I'm not saying that all the people in Mexico had no charity, but definitely the priest I was talking to cer certainly acted like a jerk to me. But it hit me, St. Paul had probably seen this. If I should speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have charity, I have become as sounding brass. You see, St. Paul has seen people work miracles with enough faith, but these were men and women who had lived lives without charity. You say, how is this possible? Jesus describes in Matthew's gospel certain people on their way to hell and describes the conversation this way. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So think about what we just read there. Exorcists and miracle workers can go to hell. Not fake exorcists, not fake miracle workers, real exorcists and real miracle workers can go to hell. We just heard our Lord say that. What was their problem? They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know him. So you see, this isn't just a sermon against charismatics. We traditionalists are not off the hook here. We just heard an exorcist go to hell because our Lord says, I never knew you, depart from me you workers of lawlessness. And this isn't a sermon against people who might know that I have a certain friend who's an exorcist. He's actually one of the holiest people I know, so this isn't a rip on him. But the point here is these people had faith but not charity. Uh-oh, so how do we get from faith to charity? Well, here's the good news. To know Jesus is to love him. To know Jesus is to love him. You see, we might think we or I have figured out the crisis in the papacy better than the next traditionalist. And what will Jesus say to us? Okay, 
So you could look through 2,000 years of history and you know who the good popes were and you know who the bad popes were and you know who the anti-popes were and you were even accurate, but you must go to hell because you never knew me and you never had any charity. So you can have figured out the whole crisis in the church. You can have the whole Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas memorized and still go to hell. Why? Well, let's get back to the three theological virtues in today's reading of 1 Corinthians 13 to find out why. We hear of faith, hope, and charity. What do we know is faith? St. Thomas Aquinas, all the old catechisms say that faith is the adherence of the intellect to the divinely revealed truths of the Catholic faith. Faith is the adherence of the intellect to the divinely revealed truths of the Catholic faith. So you can actually have a perfect, truly a perfect adherence of your intellect to every single aspect of traditional Catholic faith and morals and liturgy, and indeed have perfect faith. I don't mean you think you have perfect faith. I mean you can actually have faith, and then what does St. Paul say about that? These terrifying words. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains yet do not have charity, I am nothing. Faith without love is nothing, nothing, nothing. You see how that charismatic priest may actually have been working miracles but had no charity? I don't know. Maybe he did have charity. He seemed like a jerk to me. But this is, this is one of these sermons where I ask you, my dear listeners, to please beg God at Mass this weekend that I, Father David Nix, could please begin to practice what I preach. For on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ah, but to know Jesus is to love him. We're going to come back to that topic. Or if there's a couple social justice warrior listeners out there listening, those who love the poor but don't know Jesus, we hear in today's reading, and if I distribute all my goods to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, yet do not have charity, it profits me nothing. Nothing is nothing is nothing. And how do we get to know Jesus? All the saints say by mental prayer, by meditation on the Gospels. That's why I have this whole VLX series to learn to teach you how to do mental prayer. So if you're a Catholic who gives a lot away to the poor or knows all the old catechisms, you've memorized the whole Baltimore Catechism, and you actually truly have the faith, but you have no charity, then have the humility of the blind man in today's gospel to say to Jesus, Lord, that I may see. What's the first thing he sees is Jesus. Lord, that I may see you. Because in knowing you, I will love you. And just admit, just admit up to this point, you have known about Jesus, but not known him. And tell him you want to know him so you can love him and also love his people and love those who aren't his people yet. And I guarantee, well, every person is Jesus' people, but by baptism, you become a son and daughter of God. But we're called to love pagans too. And infidels and Jews and heretics and schismatics and everyone. We're called to love everybody, not just categorize them. If you can categorize them, maybe you have faith, but do you know how to love them? And I guarantee that if you can make that prayer, Lord, that I may see, that I may see you and know you, if that prayer comes from a humble spot, 
Jesus will hear it and he will answer it exactly or similarly to what we read in the gospel today. Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. And at once he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people upon seeing it gave praise to God, it says in St. Luke's gospel today. So notice, even as we approach Lent, we are called to rejoice in the works of the Lord. We are called to rejoice in the Lord. That is something that traditionalists can, le- can learn from charismatics. So just to close, you know, it is scary that if I distribute all my goods to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, yet do not have charity, it profits me nothing. I can know all the knowledge of the Catholic faith. I can know all the mysteries of the passion and death and resurrection of Jesus and the Incarnation. But if I have no charity, it's, it profits me nothing. But we'll close this sermon with the very next words of St. Paul. Charity is patient, is kind. Charity does not envy, is not pretentious, is not puffed up, is not ambitious, is not self-seeking, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice over wickedness, but rejoices with the truth, bears with all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. Whereas prophecies will disappear and tongues will cease, and knowledge will be destroyed. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is imperfect will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child. Now that I have become a man, I put away the things of a child. We see now through a mirror in an obscure manner, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I have been known. So there abide faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.